0: Today, we're talking to Dominic, CEO at 2X, about the philosophy behind marketing as a service. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. It's Dominic. Hey, Joel. We have a logo What's in happening? the back here. You're, you're branded. You're yeah. ready to go. I wouldn't have any, any other way, my friend. <laughs> I did want to say that I'm super excited because... David is such like a great human being, and I know we got connected through him. And so I was curious, how did you meet David?
1: Yeah, so I took uh, private equity money in uh, March, a uh, very important moment in our history. It, it was a milestone to move from being founder and sort of self funded uh, with our initial team of founders uh, onto, um, you know, Jet Fuel. And uh, we took uh, a partnership with Recognize, particularly. Mike Grady at recognize, and Mike was on the board at, um, three pillar and introduced me to Dave. And as we were thinking about how to build a diverse board of you know, not just financial professionals and, and category experts, but just successful CEOs that had done it. I get introduced to him as part of that. And, and I totally agree. Fell in love with his, you know, philosophy on how to CEO. And, and I I said, I want to, I want to learn how to be a better CEO from that person and how to lead a better team and achieve better things in my company. And, and he felt the same way. So it was great. It was like, it was a, uh, it was a match and, uh, he's been, um, really, really great, great resource to have. And, and I'm um, privileged. He wanted to work with us and he, he loves our story. He thinks our business model is transformational and in some similar ways, what he was doing kind of category creation. But, um, it was, uh, it was such an awesome connection to make.
0: And so what category did you create?
1: Marketing as a service, it's sort of a uh, new way to think of, um, how to run the marketing department with third-party services and sort of not agency related necessarily, but, um, real dedicated, intentional managed services on running the day-to-day work inside of marketing. And so a lot of agencies might come in and do a project at a point in time, like a new website or a new brand or a new, you know, launch of something, but then the marketing team does all the day-to-day work. And I think our category is more about how do we bring in third-party expertise and run work to make that day-to-day work even more effective, um, so that the internal team can do the things that only they can do, like product, like strategy, like brand messaging, um, alignment with customer, uh, you know, priorities and 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 sales priorities, and then when it comes to all the blocking and tackling and day-to-day work, bringing an expert third party to do that. And so that kind of shift, which has occurred in most functions of business, not in B two B marketing yet. Um, so a lot of those areas, um, I think, really and as you guys are doing on the podcast space, like bringing experts in to handle pieces, I think is a newer um, concept for marketing um, when it comes to run work. Like workers well, are really good at outsourcing projects, but they're not so good at like bringing in partners to help run big chunks of the organization.
0: Yeah, I see it you know my background was software engineering and i saw it happening there in different words with how frameworks emerged and people stopped rewriting stuff and just started using the common you know pre-built things and and i watched the emergence of that and now i'm you know owning my business we're you know much smaller than you we're about 20 people but it it's really clear that you need the the person that owns it and the person that deeply deeply understands it and then a bunch of em- work will emerge around that individual and then it becomes the question of to support the work that needs to be done around that, I call them magic people. But around the magic person, do you hire that infrastructure, or do you leverage a partner to help with that? And that's always the the big the big question. So that's what you guys are for marketing. Then
1: that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Providing the arms, legs, brains to execute and do work all day. It's the thing that the world needs right now. I think a lot of marketing departments are under difficult times as marketing budgets can become, you know, the smallest they've been in, in recent memory, uh, and a lot of austerity around attention on cost and, um, those kind of things. But, um, now's the time you need more revenue and now's the time you need more marketing. And so, uh, being able to provide a model that can bring that and also bring it with offshore economics. So it actually can cost less to get more. is really the problem every CMO is facing. Um, that's sort of the lane that we're in.
0: How did you develop those relationships across countries and continents?
1: I uh, I was a CMO who had this problem, and I went on a journey to find a solution to it and was introduced uh, to someone in quality in Malaysia, through a friend of a friend of a friend and uh, was really just blown away by the just dis- quality and caliber of talent that was in other places. I mean, we just think as marketers, and it's wrong. But we think that, well, we're the best people in the world to do this because we're U.S.-based in headquarters, you know, close to the business. And when it comes to, um, the thing of the, my first experience with someone in Kuala Lumpur was, we're talking about testing and optimization and how to deliver a dynamic web experience. So I was like, every marketer I know is talking about this. Like you guys are doing it. Like you're actually building these scenarios and tests and real time serving dynamic content and seeing what works better and looking at that and then driving that into if that's a great web experience that would be a great social media that would be great advertising there'd be great email like unifying that like this is really cool stuff and i just found um you know that there were amazingly talented people in those markets that were like had ip and had capability that we didn't have and decided to build a whole business around that and really the of the first Ten employees we hired back in uh, 2017, I think eight or nine, of them are still here. And so we've we've been able to wow. really build a, a special thing where it's not just uh, an offshore team; it's some of the best marketers in the world, you know, coming in to help large companies, small companies, private equity funded companies, tech companies, all companies, in B two B in my space. But at least lots of different kinds of companies really achieve different levels of marketing results and and uh, break through to that next level of impact and performance.
0: And you're at several hundred people now, correct? Six hundred, yeah. Wow,
1: over five years. It's been a, it's been a big journey.
0: And you just took your first round of funding recently, or did you we have did. other smaller ones?
1: No, no, off? we self funded it out of the gate, and then uh, so we made it this far on our own. And we and we frankly didn't need funding. Um, the business has been doing really well, but I've really felt that as we we go off and we tapped into something that the world needs, and we wanted to build you know more enterprise well, of grade. You did offering. Yeah. Yeah. The world told us that fast you
0: grew. That is not normal. That's not a normal growth rate.
1: And we didn't do any of the marketing for ourselves. It was a lot of like inbounds, customer referrals, CMOs telling other CMOs, private equity firms bringing us in and taking us across the portfolio. And so the market kind of just responded and said, yes. And so we were like, great. And how do we lean into this? Like, how do we build even more capabilities in the service? How do we eliminate the friction? How do we bring in some really high powered talent? And how do we manage you know, a service firm that's growing at hundred percent per year for five years. There's some best practices, and thankfully we recognize and and their network of Frank in particular, having built you know Cognizant and some of the biggest service firms in the world. That kind of um, playbook I thought would be really useful to us and would help us not like innovate on things that have already been done. Like let's take the best practices for doing this and deploy it in our world and then go faster.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm all, I'm 35 currently, but it's over the past you know 15 years. I've noticed that I went from wanting to do everything uniquely with my own spin on it to just take the thing that we know works and just focus on that 20 percent that makes you know the difference.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's tough because like people that are really successful entrepreneurial like to innovate on everything. It's part of our that's what makes that's our our skill that makes us really good. And as you reach a point of of scale, you've got to find out the balance of what are the things that must be innovated upon because we have to be unique and different. Or Where is the innovation really applying, knowing which of the standardized processes to bring in and where to innovate? And so uh, really thinking about, um, you know, where does it make sense to to just adopt what works? Uh, that, that is in and of itself, I think, a form of innovation.
0: And then do you guys have a podcast?
1: We do not, no. We do not yet. Uh, it's, it's on the list of to-dos, uh, I enjoy talking to folks in the market. There's some people I really respect who are doing it already. Uh, we do that on our own though.
0: No. What's your favorite marketing podcast?
1: I like Matt Hines, sales pipeline radio. He's my, uh, that he's my nice. go-to he's, uh, speaks our language and, and definitely understands the ABM driven B2B marketing transformation opportunity in front of everyone.
0: Did he, did he come? Oh my goodness. You, this is crazy. I did some work with him like 15 years ago in real estate. I was like, I googled him real quick. I was like, is that the same Matt Hines? Wow, he was in real estate. Like when I saw his face, I was like, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is still he's, well. he's, he's doing, he's doing a he podcast now. Come on, he's, that's
1: he's, great. He's, you got to reconnect. You got to send him a note uh, to reconnect him. I do. He's uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's still a distinct look. He does.
0: He also has had the same headshot for like 15 years (laughs) or at least 10. He still looks like that. He's allowed, you know,
1: know, some people have like, you know, changed. there. He's still the same, you know, physical appearance and a lot taller in person. I'd say as well.
0: Oh, that's so great. Small world. Uh, Josh, can you make a note of that? Because, you know, I didn't, he has a memorable last name because the first time I ever met him, I was like, oh, the ketchup company or something like, you Should, know. I
1: just said to you, he wrote this blog about all the funny experiences with his life about getting like complaints from people who had problems with ketchup and some school teacher <laughs> who wanted the Heinz ketchup costume for her school by classroom. And you've got to find it. He's got this whole article about all the Heinz, you know, things in his life, which is really funny.
0: Yeah, that is, I just pulled up his LinkedIn. Yeah. That's funny. Cause he's, his, his says Heinz marketing 14 years, nine months ago. And when I connected him back in my life, I was like, oh yeah, I ran into him. Oh yep, Look, he used to be at house values, senior director of marketing at house values. That's fine. Yeah, there you go. Small Man, world. that's a small world. We're, we Maybe know, you how many other him. people do we know? I don't
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Maybe. my, that's my go-to. And he's, he's sort of become like, if you're like a B2B CMO, like he's the guy you listen to. I think he's really got to Are you
0: serious? Attention, that is yeah. so great. Yeah. I got to say, hey, we got to get on there and help cross promote our podcast production services. Yeah. That's what we got to do. Well, uh, yeah. No, that... yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: <laughs> A lot of people, a lot of people want to build one. And that's part of like, I have, I have like friends that have them. So like I'll just join yours. <laughs> Versus right? build your own is, is a lot of, um, you know, a lot of work, but important work.
0: Yeah, and I'm actually curious to have conversation. We'll edit around this, but I'm curious to have conversations with you about how you do your relationships with other countries in a way that it's a high quality situation and not mm-hmm. a low quality situation. Yeah, and if, the, if there might be some opportunity there. But back back to you and, and your company. So help me understand this. This is something that's not entirely clear for me right now. I understand that you do the work and you help like the key people. You can pair into their teams and help them do this, be the arms and, and legs and whatnot. But do you also have the magic people at your company? If we don't have them, can we come to you and say like, hey, we need strategy. We we have a really great widget maker. We really know the widget and and the problems that it solves. And we don't really know a whole lot about a marketing at all. Can you just plug an entire team in with all the areas of expertise? We can't. And that's... um.
1: Part of what we built, uh, the first thing I built after we took private equity investment, was a strategy practice, a consulting practice, Hired some amazing people in that who have been B2B marketing strategists their whole career, who really understand how to solve sticky problems whether it's an assessment, a diagnostic, a strategy, a plan, um, a provocative set of recommendations to move you to a different state, um, or an interim assignment. Uh, we do now have a practice as of, uh, this year. Um, to be able to do that work and it's so important because sometimes i mean it's two different problems either i don't know what to do or i know what to do i don't have anyone to do it we can solve either of those and i think in the, in the world of every marketer's in some form of transformation right now you need to be able to do both
0: and so you do these two things really really well and you just do that over and over and over and make the experience better and better and better. And that's how you went you know to five six hundred seven hundred employees in the past couple of years
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's solving a real need. I think it's, I mean, there's a lot of things that we're seeing that tie in, I think exactly to, you know, your community, like there's marketers have spent so much money on technology and very few are fully utilizing it. Lots of reports coming out of that Gartner. I think recently it was 42% of the MarTech that marketers have invested in. The functionality is being used. 42% of it's being used, which is interesting. It's actually frankly higher than I would have thought. But it was 58% like two years ago. And so there's this huge void of marketing tech skills and capabilities that I think is a problem getting worse on its own as marketers are running around, you know, with these big, um, appetite, uh, you know, objective like priorities around how do I bring in all these new data tools and intent tools and account-based marketing and automation and AI and, NNN. And and, 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 and so, um the, the, almost like the market conditions that need what we do are naturally just, just growing and growing and growing. And I think we've, um, we've really built a solid on that and, and really have built a, a model where we want customers to be really successful and, um, so successful. They keep us forever. They tell all other friends about us as CMOs move on, which tends to happen more than most a positions, lot. you know, they bring us <laughs> to the next company. We stay where we were, and then they go to the next company with them. And then that kind of model has been, Really, we built the business around let's do great work. Let's worry about that. Let's not worry about, you know, putting our, our brand everywhere in the world and, you know, building this hype around um, you know, us. Let's make it about making the customer successful, the CMO successful, the marketer successful, and helping them really deliver things that they know they want to do, but they just don't have the people to do it.
0: Yeah, that's something we found out early on is to look at the key contact, the individual that's the stakeholder. As the customer, and how do we make them look good? And you know, even to our point of our onboarding process, understanding what they're what they get judged on and what they have reporting on, so that we can be even thinking about it because we want to make them look good, right? And yep. and then when they go to other companies, they don't even have a question. We've had those are my favorite deals is when we get someone that comes from another company, they're just like, Hey, we need we need a show. And I'm like, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause yeah. they know we can deliver and it's, it's the beauty of the relationships. So, yeah. Hey, I had a couple other questions for you about those numbers that you just mentioned. Like, wh- why did it change? Did they start building more features or is it, like, how did that number go in the opposite direction?
1: <laughs> well, I think it's one, marketers are buying more tech. And so the okay. more tech they buy, the less percentage of tech they're able to manage, um, which is an interesting reality. Uh Secondly, I think, um, when tech strategy is built and tech decisions are made in marketing, um, the marketer is a technology leader who does not have a technology background. And so a lot of times I think marketers are doing exactly the right thing. They're, they're understanding the power of a new platform. They're deciding that can bring huge value to their organization. They buy the platform because They want to bring it into their environment. But they missed a part of, well, how are we going to do with the human side around it? Who's going to use it? How are we going to train people? How are we going to certify people? How are we going to bring it into the DNA of our organization? But don't always have that as part of the plan. And I think a lot of tech vendors um, have amazing platforms, but also don't always you know, share that what they're selling is transformation and the technology is an enabler of that. But in order to get the transformation, in order to get some better marketing engine that's more automated, that's finding people before they even know they want to be found. Uh, and, and in order to do that, you need a lot of tech, you need a lot of people, you need process, right? The standard things that a technologist knows. Um, and so I think there's a bit of that going on. And then I also think there's issues where um, the um, the tech adoption uh, is going so fast and there's no one really creating talent to manage the tech. We did some work with Sixth Sense in particular. One of the marketing tech solutions I think is most exciting in the space we um we did some research with them. We looked at people that have a certification for that platform. How many of them are there on LinkedIn? Easy way to get a real time view of supply. And then how many job descriptions are posted that want that technology skill? What you find is these huge imbalances, old stuff like email, trade shows, content, SEO, SEM, websites, tons of supply, ten to one in how many people have the capability versus how many jobs are posted. New things, you get like twice as many job postings as there are people in the market, who, by the way, are all already employed, who have jobs. And so I think there's just, that everyone. everyone's fighting over these, you know, 500,000 people that are certified, whether it's Six Sense, whether it's Marketo, whether it's Salesforce, whether it's HubSpot, whether it's Drift, whether it's these other platforms, there's not enough certified talent in the market. And so um, as employers, marketing leaders are trying to find that talent, they're, fighting over a very small group and very few companies are working on how we build that talent you'll learn in school um you're not coming out with that it's one of these things where sometimes you need experience to get experience so there's sort of this scarcity of talent in that space Mm -hmm. that um someone's got to solve and i think you know service providers are perfect to solve in that but there aren't a lot of managed service marketing tech service providers out there that are working on b2b specifically and so it almost just creates this like perfect storm of a shortage um, which I think is driving in the end, um, lower outcomes from technology. And I think it's like totally solvable. It's like, you either have to decide I'm going to create these people or I'm going to find a vendor that's going to bring these people in, but I'm going to require that if I just spend a whole bunch of money on this new technology platform and this new vision, I want to have people that really know how to use it. And if I don't have that, I'm not going to buy the tech or I'm going to, you know, change my roadmap or I'm going to commit to have the, the sort of human component with the tech component working t- together.
0: And so do you work with Sixth Sense, so if a customer of theirs needs extra manpower around their technology, that they refer you?
1: We do, and, and vice versa. Okay. The customer of ours that has a lot of you know, great ideas and wants to achieve the next level of marketing impact, we refer them. And it's, uh, it's a very symbiotic relationship. And so having those sort of tech partnerships has been a really cool part. And we're not resellers to the extent that we're pushing it. It's more of a, um, we're servicing the best stuff in the market because we think marketers should use it. And, and there's an opportunity to get so much more value out of what you've already bought usually. And that's how you do more with less. Like you, you already have this beautiful tech stack. You've already built this amazing thing that marketers stand on stage with their market textures and you win awards for the. Market the, textures. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they, and they win awards for like buying the right solutions and, you know, integrating them together. But how do we, um. How do we make sure we get 100% of the functionality out of them, not 42%?
0: That is so cool. And so what are you talking about as far, like with your colleagues, like what are the big things happening right now in marketing that you guys see as like the next big thing?
1: There's a real uh, shift in the buyer journey that in the, I think it was going this way anyway, it was accelerated by digital work, but buyers, they don't want to talk to sales anymore. They want to get through their whole journey on their own. They want to do all their own research. They want to understand all their own, you know, alternatives and what could be better for them uh, independently. And then they don't want to fill out a form. They don't want to know who they are. They want to do it anonymously and on their own. And that problem has created this massive amount of buyers that are in market, but are totally unknown to most vendors. Uh, In the past, you know, you would register for a webinar or a white paper, you would reach out to a salesperson for a demo kind of in the beginning of your evaluation cycle. Now those things happen at the very end after someone's already made up their mind. And so how do you identify who's going through that dark funnel? That who's really on a quest to solve a problem? And how do you make sure that somewhere in that journey, they find you in tripping your door? A lot of tech is out there to help provide visibility to that. And so with you know, looking at search trends and behavior and intent data and buyer activity, You can start to see, particularly at a company level, what companies are looking for, what products, and then you can start to market to them. We all see this in our personal life where you get, you know, those ads on social media that just happen to be exactly the right time. Well, applying that to B2B into our professional lives, um, I think that's the real shift and when that happens also, it totally changes the relationship between sales and marketing. And so it's not necessarily marketing's job to go get a lead and hand at the sales, it's marketing's job to activate that buyer and get them engaged with your brand. And to bring them in some level of conversation that then it brings a salesperson in, and so that um, that shift in in the balance of the sales funnel, where it used to be like half marketing, half sales, and well now it's like eighty percent marketing, like twenty percent sales, I think has changed a lot of um, what marketing has to do, and I think has also changed a lot of priorities around you know what marketing does and how marketing reports impact and where marketing spends attention, how marketing and sales really work together on the revenue problem. That's the big conversation. Um, a lot of AI plays into that. A lot of technology plays into that. There's a lot of workflow in that, um, but that's really the change that most marketing organizations and B two B at least are going through right now.
0: I can say I fully agree. We had a sales call this morning. The guy showed up with like a seven page brief document of exactly what they wanted. And he just said, "I'm I'm just shopping." Like I, I heard that you know through a friend of a friend that you guys were a great production company, and here's what I want. He knew every question. I looked at him. I was like, this is basically our kickoff call after you become a customer. And this is what we, you know, figure out. And then he's like, yeah, I just want pricing. I was like, all right, cool. So I just jumped right to pricing because I hate when people don't give me pricing when I want it. And I jumped directly to prices, showed it to him. And he's like, great. Awesome. He's like, we're doing a Q4, you know, send me over the proposal. And I said, awesome. Great. And you're, so you're exactly right. We're also, we've been working the past two weeks on a new iteration of our website so us selling podcasts is fairly new for the first two years i did the show as a hobby then i started doing advertising and that's one of the ways i met three pillar and all of them and then we did advertising for three years and then some of our sponsors started asking us like hey we really enjoy sponsoring your show and coming on your show can you make us a show and at the time we had done north of 500 episodes and we're like well we know how to hire all these positions. We know how to, you know, I'm a software engineer by trade. So we have everything really well organized. Like if we just follow all these processes, sure. So that was about a year and a half ago or so. We've picked up about 20 shows. Um, but yeah, we, we've learned so much about how the buying process happens and how people want to receive, you know, information. And rather than looking at what competitors do and what their websites are, we, we look at what our clients need from us. And then, we were designing our new website around those principles. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Speaking of podcasters, there's a, it was a Chris Walker the other day just talked
0: about Oh yeah,
1: stop following your competitors and start following your customers. You no, know, that was really well well said um, that if you're... Oh, nice. His comment was, if you're, I'll steal it uh, in, in another form of podcast. I think it was something effective. If you're, if you're following your competitors by definition, you're behind them. And instead, your customers will tell you what they want. They'll tell you what they need. And think about that. I think that's dead on. I think it's a, um, you know, if you want to be the one that they come to for information and the one that they, you know, learn about how to buy a podcast service, what questions to ask, you should be providing that content to the world and, and enable the customer. Your content should, you know, leave the customer better than you found them. Even if all they ever do is view the content Uh, and sort of that obsession of creating marketing materials that are actually helpful. That are not there to benefit you; that are there to benefit the customer, is really where um, I think that shift occurs. And I totally agree with that philosophy.
0: And to build on top of what you said, that my is my favorite hack: teaching people how to buy something. Because you look at the marketplace; everybody's "we're the best," "we're the best," you know, A, B, and C, and here's our unique value edge. And then you've got the person says, "This is how you buy it." Like, here's learn how to buy it, and then you go to that person. To learn how to evaluate the others, well, that person owns a company that does it, and you learn everything. and usually those people have are smart enough to where they have like the highest quality, you know, offerings available, and so you learn about it all from them. You feel like you know them by the end of the day. Look, there have been people, Dominic, that come up to me when I'm at a conference or something and start just a fluid conversation like we've known each other for twenty years, talking about my kids who I've never met in my life, but they've listened to four hundred episodes. <laughs> It's beautiful. I love it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the unfair symmetry of information, though, is that you're uh, you're well known, um, and if you know that's 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 the job of of marketing, of founders, of CEOs, of is to um, is to really you know, activate the market and become become known, and and leave those people better than they were.
0: I want to run something by you since you're smart and you're out there, so. As you go, I have a, a guess of where things are headed. So I, I'm not claiming it's right. I'm just saying I've got this, this this small feeling that this is where we're headed in the next five years with content. So I think podcast, the fact that it's the wrapper of a podcast, is just the container. It's the box it's in. What, what's inside the box is what I'm calling relationship based content. So I think that the future is relationship based content. I don't know what platform we're gonna be using. I don't know what if it's gonna be a podcast or a TikTok or some new thing or a YouTube. But what I have found is that the content I gravitate towards are and spend hours a month just consuming passively and my you know, in between periods of time is usually clips of long form conversations with experts discussing the the problems at the highest level. And I'm calling that relationship-based content. And so my thing that I believe is going to be really important for companies is to figure out how to get good at that. It's like websites, right? At first, everyone's like, ah, it's just the new thing, or it's just social media. Ah, it's just the new thing. But then it becomes the thing you have to do. But I think that we're early on that curve.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny, because in the beginning of a lot of the interactive content, there was the talking head case study but everybody mm-hmm. used to work at SAP, right? We wanted so many of those. And then we like calibrated all the way over into, you know what? Let's just do animated, illustrated, explainers. And then we went to, like, let's just get the B-roll. And then we went to, like, let's just have everyone's home anyway so we could just do a recording from Zoom. And and it became, and then, like, we had to just, like, let's just get AI to do it for us. Right? And and now we've come to the spot where we're missing that authenticity and missing that, that human connection uh, that people crave in the process because... I can read all the stuff on my own. I could watch all the demos on my own. I could learn about the process. But I want to see somebody who's just like me explain to me that this is gonna work. That this is gonna help me solve the problem. Uh, and I wanna hear about like the the, the what we was tried and failed and worked and didn't work and what we learned and you know, the how the hero was better for header for the journey. You know, that kind of storytelling. I think is really hard to replicate in other formats. And I think it's really smart of you to, to call that a category of content. because uh, I think that's, that's the content that, you know, sure, you might be able to have some things that you can do to make it more efficient with the tools and the AI we have, but you really do need people buy from people. Companies don't buy anything. And how do you, um, how do you connect yeah. with those people on the other side of the, of the table digitally to give them confidence that it's going to make their Problem go away, or the job was successful, or their dreams come true, or whatever those things are. It's hard to do that in totally flat content without people involved.
0: I like that history line you gave me. I'm going to send that to our sales team and be like, we need to put that in a deck from the talking head case study to explain it because it ends up with the the authenticity lacking. And that comes after the AI explosion. And I've said, you know, for the past couple months that. I also on top of the relationship-based content is one of the things I've been thinking about for two or three months. I've also been considering that I would put money on in-person events becoming far more significant than they are now. I think the driving of AI and and there will be this lack of trust of this well-polished, high quality content anybody on the planet can click and have a button and it's generated that that's gonna put a premium on in-person. Relationships as, along with relationships as a whole.
1: Yeah, we've seen that. I mean, I've I've done uh, some really interesting events over the last couple of years where, I mean, some of it was a bit of like pent up, like I want to get back out and see people and I need mm-hmm. to be, because now I'm hybrid and I'm not in an office all day or at a, with, I'm not with my colleagues. And so that human connection is even more important for that reason. Um, but I definitely think, yeah, as as there's just more content out there, you need different formats and different people consume things in different ways. And some people like interactive and some people like to read, and some people like videos, some people like shorts, some people like long. And how do you have different uh, content items, content formats, ways to get educated that kind of map to different, you know, learning styles and different journeys. And and I think events are a really critical part of it. I, it's always been this argument of, you know, as there, um, we spend it all in digital, we spend it all on physical. And it was like the pendulum swings, right? Like before mm-hmm. it was... Was all physical generally won out a lot? The answer, I think, is both. I think you need, you need both in, in tandem, and ideally, you've got a whole bunch of digital activating people and getting everybody excited to know who you are and what you do and how you solve problems and building your thought leadership presence. And then, when someone finally has an opportunity to meet in person, they've already heard about you, they've already consumed content, they've already been on your website, they've already, and then, and then after you have a conversation, and then people get busy and go back and like. The digital nurtures them. I think it's having that physical to digital hybrid concept in the journey of how buyers buy is also, I think, a really important best practice to bring in and not over-calibrate in either direction.
0: So I've got a, a specific question, which you might not be able to answer without enough context. We can just say, yeah, move on or not. But when we were redoing the website, we made some case. We found the three reasons why people would want to buy the, or, or three reasons why our customers who bought, bought. Right, we just looked backwards at our past twenty customers. We found these three in common. We made a case study for each one of the three, and we gave a you know little preview quote from it, and then a download button, and then the email HubSpot situation. Would you recommend not doing that and just letting them see it, or collecting the emails, or do you not have enough information to even talk about this with me?
1: I I believe that you should never put a speed bump and a fence with a guard. In front of the content that you think is most helpful to your buyer i think that there's there's a lot of research out there that says that three percent of people will fill out a form 97 percent will just i'll go somewhere else i don't want you to know I, I know you're gonna harass me if i tell you I and so oh, the key is, is that oh, i think marketers cool. believe though if that person fills out the form they must be really interested and so it gives me a form of intensity of their desire so i know that they really they know i'm going to call them and they fill out the form anyway which means they must be really interested and i think it's interesting. you go to the other side of it what if we just gave it away to everybody all 100 of people who wanted that can get it those three percent that would have filled out the form are going to get it the 97 percent who wouldn't have are now going to get it and those people who really get you know moved by it in a positive way then they're going to hit the cut their desk button and they're going to say i want to talk to you um or you get the ability to with some of these platforms out there to know who's engaging with the content, whether it was a form or not, maybe, you know, on the company level, maybe not on the personal level, but you know, it was Coca-Cola that downloaded that, or, you know, it was someone in the HR oh. department at Mars that downloaded that. And so a lot of these intent data tools will be able to give you some level of, uh, visibility to who's engaging with your content you can pop has that out of the box. There's tools like six cents to do that. Um, and so being able to to see the content consumption without putting the roadblock in front of the friction in the process, um, I think is generally a net gain. You know, obviously, you need a form on a contact us form because who do I call? You might need a form on a webinar because you kind of send an invite with a link. Um, but I would be very um, you know, thoughtful. You might want to stick a form on a you just you just want some amazing third-party vendor quadrant of, you know, you're a leader and you have the big document you want to share and you paid hundred thousand dollars to get to use it. You want to really, you know, hang it out there so people can see it and you know, they're going to want it so bad that they'll fill it out maybe in that case. But I think of uh, more of an ungated experience is a way better customer experience, build trust, educate them, and then earn the right to have them reach out to you. Add so much value that they come to you and also get visibility to who those people are so that you can then nurture them and advertise to them and, you know, proactively make sure they don't forget about you. Uh, I think it's, I think it is a shift and there's just some real research being done about, you know, what makes buyers less likely to buy spoiler. It's no pricing it's forms it's cold calls. And so, uh, how do we, how do we just give them the pricing, give them the visibility, give them the demo or the document for free. And, and let them kind of consume as they want to.
0: Not to put you on the spot, but is 2X have pricing on their website?
1: We do not um, because we custom solution usually. And so um, okay. we would, uh, and we're, we're talking about how to do that. Um, our pricing's in our first meeting though. We show up with a customer, like this is how our rates go. But, but what, more importantly, what, what do you really want to dig into? Because we're building your team. Do you need more content? Do you need more ops? Do you need more campaigns? Do you need strategy? Do you need, You know, those components Mm -hmm. that we put together are really unique and it's hard to share that. It's not a secret though. It's not like you have to, yeah, no, you have to answer my 15 qualifying questions before I'll give you a proposal. Like, no, we'll we'll share it. It's about this, this amount depending on this problem. And I mean, we solve like a hundred different kinds of problems. And so it's really hard to, um, without like overwhelming the information. I think it's more of, maybe that comment is more of a software comment as well. Like the software pricing is kind of standardized, it's very clear of what it is um and i think being able to put visibility around that is if you can uh, is worth doing
0: yeah we, we ran into that issue when we were trying to figure out how to price the you know podcast production services and what we ended up coming up with is just like a range so we'd say like our average customer spends between x and x a month with us and then people would have a good idea and well their next question is inevitably well, what what cha- What makes you go across that range? <laughs> it's like, well, the number uh-huh. of episodes you're recording. And so we found out that really quickly, you know, because we charge by number of person. Is that how you guys charge? by cap- Like if you have number of people joining your team?
1: Yeah, it's usually some volume of uh, how much work, whether volume. it's people, okay. hours, deliverables, um, usually it's some level of units of, of volume.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Cool, yeah. So w- we figured that in our deck for our first call, we put you know, a, a range and that will immediately, the moment they see the range, we can tell on their face that, I mean, you know, they don't even have to say a word, right. You can tell if it's within the realm of possibility for them or not. So.
1: Yeah. it's better for everyone just to get that, you know, out on the table and no reason to, uh, you know, but I think it's like, it's also, we, well, one thing we do do as well, I think is a really good best practice is if you're going to, um, give somebody a proposal, send the proposal before the meeting. Don't like have this deck where like I got Slide one is all the great value I have, and two is all the stuff I'm going to do for you. And but wait, there's more, and there's more, and there's more, and like you're holding the price until the last slide. I think that's that's annoying to buyers. They want to know out of the gate. It is, um, you know, would, what, where is this? Because you know what, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about it the whole time you're talking to me, and and I'd rather just know. And that if I have a problem with it, I'll you know, bring it up in the very beginning of the call. Like, hey, just so you know, that that is not even on the planet we're on. Like, let's let's have that conversation because maybe there's a different solution, and maybe there's a pivot we can take, or maybe. You know, we shift the call. Then, okay, maybe it's said the right thing for you right now. But let us give you some value and advice. Of what it is, you think it less maybe worth it? That
0: we actually do that. The salespeople, we've trained everybody to love it. But at first, it was a difficult sale. <laughs> I'd tell them, "I was like, look, we're playing the, we're playing this in decades, people. I mean, if somebody's not right, we're not going to try to push them to stretch and and to get it. We're going to point them in a direction of, you know, how would I do this with scotch tape and bubble gum if I just want to figure it out?" Because because I can say I did that because I started with nothing. You know, I started my show with nothing, and so I know how to do it, and I know why you wouldn't want to start from nothing. <laughs> and yeah. and so we can help them, you know, bridge that gap. But I always tell everybody on our on our sales team and marketing, I said, look, if we do right by the person that's in front of us on the call, and we just do that throughout the hundreds of sales calls we do throughout the year, eventually that's going to come back to us in a net positive.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a small industry, and I agree with you on a long game yeah. and. I mean, and I can't tell you how many times. Actually, I I just have it. 15 minutes, true story, call at three Eastern with um, someone I talked to four years ago. He just reached out to LinkedIn. He's like, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but like we had this meeting and you came up to New York and you told my team about all the things that we could do and we weren't the right fit for you, but you were like so helpful and we never forgot about you and like, now we're ready. And great, like that's that's the way that um, sales and marketing should work. Um, If you're, you know, you have to make, obviously you have to, still sell things. And so if you're, no one's buying your product just taking your advice and you don't have four years to catch the revenue and, you know, deliver the financial returns you need to, to keep your company afloat. That's a very different story. But I think that's, that's usually the problem. The problem is like this, this person isn't ready for it right now. So how do we make sure that they get something that is valuable to them based on where they are? So when Mm -hmm. they are ready for it, we're their first call.
0: Okay. So I'm headed in the right direction. I feel like. I think so. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I I say this stuff so that people, because people that are smart like you, they they correct me if I'm wrong, and so I I'm more so I look at a lot of these interviews as me like making statements and like letting people correct me because you know that that tends to be the way to sharpen the blade for me. Yeah. So if I'm saying something stupid, you got to tell me. I don't think you said
1: anything crazy. Yeah. I think uh, okay. I think you're right, and I think you're you're thinking about. You're obsessing about how do I make this experience better for my customer? And that's what every CEO, product leader, sales leader, marketing leader, revenue leader should be working on.
0: I don't know exactly how to articulate this question because it's sort of come up throughout this conversation. But the points, there's, there's two key points. The first one is, you know, you, you've said twice, once with the downloads being blocking and the other one with the pricing and sending the proposal before the meeting. These these things that I instinctively know when I go buy stuff, I bounce the site if they want my information in a form. Yet I'm having the conversation on my side, Oh, like do I do this? And I'm talking to Dominic about it. And then the same thing is true for the pricing. Like I have, I found myself the other day in the meeting saying, "Oh yeah, and we'll get to the pricing in a moment because I know you really want that." And I'm now I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I just show it to them right then? You know, and and so the question I, I I'm trying to get at is. Why is it so hard for us as professionals to do what we would want in our buying experience with our own products and companies?
1: That's a great question. Um, I I don't know, I'll I'll verbally process this one. Uh, On one front, I think maybe part of it comes from a little bit of difficulty in, in connecting you know, the, the money you're going to ask for to the value that it's going to provide. And I think there's a bit of like, I'm going to ask someone to buy something. So I really have to make it clear to them what they're going to get for it. And it's just really hard for me to convey all I got to remind them of their problem. I got to show them, you know, all the things I learned. So they see, I'm really interested and engaged. I got to show them our solution and why it's better. I got to do all these things to justify the value for the money I'm going to ask them for. I, mean, I think it's the, almost the clearer the value prop gets of like, yeah, if you, if you hired us, we'd get you know, 40% more pipeline and 30% less cost. And by the way, that's going to cost you a million dollars a year. Like if the story is easy to articulate, I mean, it's very clearly a good idea that has economic value attached to it. It's way easier to talk about the number. Well, I think that's one piece of it. I think maybe the other piece of it is just that, that there's a, just an element of, you know, you're asking someone for something, um, you're, you know, a respectful person you don't want to just make them feel like you're there for, you know, to close the deal. I think you want to build a human connection, a relationship, you know, create some just shared alignment on what you're going to do. And then maybe the third is also that, um, the economics are a small part of the relationship, I think. It's a lot of times people are buying something, not because of what it costs, care less what it costs, They care is going to solve the problem. Uh, and I think this is the area where it's a good thing, maybe to have the conversation focused in another area of like, well, let's make sure we're aligned on solving the problem that there's, this is what you wanted to do. This is what I'm going to do. Let's really obsess about getting that right. And then let's tell you what it costs. And uh, I think in that sense, it comes from the right place. I just think if we already know what the problem is and we already know how we're going to solve it, then let's just get to the, the clarity of what it's going to cost and move on from there. That makes sure it's the right solution.
0: Yeah, I think you said that, Britt. Oh, you yes. <laughs> I noticed that people that buy our customers, they almost always say the same thing in the first call. Hey, we, we want to do this and we just don't have the bandwidth. We want to do this, we don't have the bandwidth. And when they say those words, I'm like, great, because it's not a money thing. It's not... Uh, will this work thing. It's not a should we do this thing. It's, hey, we want to do it. We don't have the capability to do it. And so that, uh, I was making notes as you were talking, Like capability, cost, relationships, all of those things. And, uh, Slowing down in my talking right now because I'm thinking about how they connect back to us. So I'm I'm unofficially leveraging your knowledge as consultant free consulting for my company.
1: (laughs) I'm here to leave you better than I found
0: you. You're the best. Well, I I know we are uh, we have a hard stop and I want to make sure we have a call to action to get people to go check out two X Marketing. Can you tell me what the website is and what's the first step that they should take?
1: Yeah, it's two X dot marketing is the URL. And, uh, there's some videos on there about what we, uh, what problems we solve and, and how we help someone run a better marketing organization. Um, I think the most interesting part is, is insights. Uh, I think that our, our typical customer is a, is a marketing leader. Um, someone who's trying to transform and, um, as a service company, you know, half of the interesting part is, well, we, we can actually do the work for you. But the other half is like, what do we think? What do we think transformation means? What do we think value means? What do we think account-based marketing means? What do we think, um, the, the job of the CMO is, and there's some really cool content on the inside section where we share a bit about, you know, as I was a former CMO, I'm kind of trapped in a CEO's body and so you never stop being a CMO I find though. And so we're marketers at heart where we're folks that are trying to help the marketing leader, be more successful, how to drive more impact and value for their business. People spend money on marketing because they want more revenue. We want to talk about how to do that and have some points of view. And so, um, I think if you're a, if you're a B2B marketing leader, trying to do something innovative and different with your marketing, uh, or you're struggling with, a do more with less mandate, or you, you know, have something that, you know, is incomplete, deficient. Um, first place I would start is, is the, to learn about a better way. And I think we've got a lot of insights around, around the site to do that. Uh, a lot of people come to us right now that are that are totally in alignment to what the business needs them to do, um, that they, they have to run more efficiently. They have to produce more impact. They might have to restructure their organization and think really intentionally about cost of people and cost of vendors. And a lot of CMOs and leaders i meet are like, they're okay with that. They just don't know how to do it. They don't know where to cut and, uh, where to optimize or where to improve or where to change in a way that's actually going to produce a better result and operate a more agile, flexible efficient engine, and um, I think we're the best in the world to help people figure that out.
0: I love it. Dominic, this is fantastic. 2x.marketing. Man, we made a podcast. How do you feel? It was fun. It was good talking to you. Thank you so much for listening, and if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn,